Last week, we talked, I opened up talking about a guy named Basil of Caesarea. Do you remember that story? He started a little city. It's one of the first hospitals. Today, I want to talk about another fun character in in church history. His name is Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. (laughs) Count Ludwig, to say it in a better pronunciation. He was actually from a noble family in the 18th century. He actually was wealthy, as was Basil of Caesarea. He was very wealthy. He was set to inherit a huge title, uh, land, and money, and he could have literally just coasted through life Downton Abbey style, right? Just had everything at his fingertips. But he had this passion for preaching the gospel. He wanted to be a pastor, and his family was like, please don't. You're going you're gonna to take a huge step down, which it's true. And um, he just kept uh, wanting to be a part of something bigger. Um, he inherited a bunch of land from his grandmother before um, he got some other titles. And he took his land, and right about this time is something happening. Um, it's post-Reformation, and the, the church has kind of started to fracture a bit um, the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Anabaptist Church. And there was a lot of real tension about how people were worshiping God. Won't get into all of it, but there was a lot going on, and it got violent. And there was a group of German-speaking Christians from Moravia that were seeking asylum, and he took his land, Zinzendorf took his land and made it, in a sense, a landing spot for these spiritual, religious refugees. Now, his little experiment uh, was a total disaster. So you have 300 to 400 people setting up homes, setting up a village on your land, and they all have these different ways of worshiping God. And so there was a lot of friction, a lot of tension, a lot of arguments, and even violence, okay? And people were pointing and saying, see, this isn't going to work. So what did he do? Zinzendorf decides to step away from his business as being, um, he's, he's, he's actually supposed to be doing some very royal things. He, he begins to visit every single home in the village personally, which is, as a count, was a little, was a little strange for them. He visits every single home in the village and he prays with them, every family, and he pleads with them to have unity um, and, and basically says, here's what we agree, the most essential things we all agree on, let's, let's make those the important things, okay? In response, after a whole bunch of time, the men of the village begin to see the uh, importance of just unity and coming together. And so they start to gather and do prayer together and Bible studies together. And they wrote uh, um, uh, like, a, like a document. Uh, it was called the Brotherly Union and Compact. So they just had weird names for things. But, and it was like this voluntary code. This is the way we're going to pattern our life together because we're stuck with each other. 
right? And it forged this kind of new sense of unity. And then Zinzendorf begins to hold these daily meetings for prayer and Bible study, and the entire community comes out for many of those. And on this specific day, August 13th, 1727, the whole community gets together for communion. They get together for communion, and it's just a powerful moment. It's, they call it, um, church historians call it the Moravian Pentecost, because the people are just so taken by God's love and, and, and love for each other. They, they, there's prayer, there's laughter, there's joy, there's feasting, and it becomes this incredible day. And from that moment, they began to see how God was using them as a community for the rest of the world. They didn't want to keep it you know, for themselves, but they opened it up for so many others. People began to travel from all over Europe to be a part of this community because of how they were living, right? It sounds like a really cool thing. They started, they, this is crazy, they started a prayer meeting that lasted without interruption. So hourly, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week prayer meeting that lasted a hundred years. Not a hundred days, a hundred years. That's how powerful this community became. Religious scholars, biblical scholars, and historians say that the Moravians, out of this group, came the biggest missionary effort since the book of Acts in, in like 1,400 years, 1,500 years. Now, seems kind of impossible to think about, right? And it just doesn't seem like, wow, that was really cool. It seems like that could never happen again. And the reason why we think that is because we live in the West. We live in the most highly individualistic society to ever be. We are, you and I are literally formed by it. It is in us. It's almost like in our DNA, how we build our homes to how we structure our lives is very individualistic. And um, on my sabbatical, I was reading a book by a guy named Arthur Brooks. And Arthur Brooks is a sociologist And uh, this book talked about how very difficult it is for us as human beings to have relationships with each other. In his book, he talks a lot about careerism and how careerism is usually the focus for us, um, building our careers. And, And it's almost like we don't have time for other people unless they benefit our careers. Then we make time for them. (laughs) That's our world. Um, He also does a lot of other work, and one of the things he did is he talked uh, in some of his earlier work, um, Arthur Brooks, um, about friendship, and and he talks about how a human being is actually becomes happy or sad. Very simple, and he does this sociological work, and he basically says there's four components for a human being to feel happy or to feel sad, depending on these four components. The first one is having a few close friends. Just a few close friends, right? 
not just like acquaintances, but people who know who you are, like your shadow side and your dreams and some of those things, like just having a few close friends helps somebody become happy. The next one is what he calls kin, which is basically your nuclear family or just family in general, just like, hey, we've got uh, people to connect with that are blood. And that's difficult in this day and age too. His third one is meaningful work, like how we contribute to human flourishing, how we contribute to society in our work is a huge part of our happiness. And the last one is a philosophy of life. Um, And not just a philosophy of life, a philosophy of death and suffering, which is, at this moment, secularism can't handle a philosophy of death or suffering, so it's a philosophy of um, consumption and things like that. So basically what he's saying is we're living in a time where there's a hollowing out of all four of those things. It's very easy to try to get through life in a personal way without any of those things. Um, the data backs this up. Americans are the loneliest people in the world. The data, the sociological data tells us this. We are, 40% of American adults have zero to one confidant. Zero to one. There's a great book that I've read in the past by a guy named Joseph Hellerman, and it's called When the Church Was a Family. There's a fly that's still alive. I think it just died. Get, get out of here. Um, that's on the podcast. Um, we, <laughs> we in America, he says, have been socialized to believe that our dreams, our own dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group to which we belong. The immediate needs of the individual are more important than the long-term health of the group. So this is in contrast to many other societies in our world that have something called an honor-shame culture, where it's, it sounds bad because you don't want to feel shame in, in an individualistic culture, but in an honor-shame culture, there's this desire to bring honor to the group honor to the family, honor to your community over your, yourself as an individual. And it's totally flipped in the West. And, and so we deal with something here called ex- individual extremism, which sounds like a political thing, like a right-wing thing. It's very much a right and left thing um, about autonomy. Um, and it's in direct tension with all four of those things that we mentioned before friendship, kin, you know, philosophy of life, things like that. So, all this to say, C.S. Lewis called this the prison of the self. That we actually think this is freedom, and ultimately it's more of like a prison. And it, the, what the dangerous mix, here's the dangerous mix. The dangerous mix is individualism, like me first, I'm important, I'm the most important, and something called tribalism, which is really happening a lot around us, 
which is basically anti-community. So it's a group of people formed together in, in hate towards somebody else or some other ideology. So if you mix individualism and tribalism, and it's weird because tribalism feels like community because, I mean, anti-community is better than no community, right? So it doesn't seem like, here's, here's the hinge here, it doesn't seem like this is the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't feel like this is working. It doesn't feel like this is Tov. Now, we've been in this series called The Way of Tov, and we've been talking about what very good is, what God's functionality and his intentionality for us is. And I fervently believe, based on the reading of Scripture, that it has everything to do with a community, a family, and not being a rugged individualist. All right? So we're going to look at Romans 12. Um, and Romans 12 is just a beautiful picture of what community could look like. The first eight chapters of Romans are what God has done for us and creation in Christ. Then verses, uh, chapters 9 through 11 are kind of about the, what God has done for the people of God and the community of God. Um, and how this beautiful community sh- gives birth to like a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, Jew plus Gentile um, laying down of our individual tribal stuff and come together as the people of God kind of thing. And this is the hinge chapter for it, okay? So it starts off with the word therefore, which tells you that there's, it, there's so much happening before that this is alluding to. Um, this is how we are to live as an alternative society to how you used to live. He's telling this to the Roman Christians. This is how you used to live. This is how you're going to live. Okay? He says, therefore, I urge you, and this is his pastoral call to them, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So the, the first metaphor he uses is brothers and sisters. It's family. It's Adelphoi. It's not tribes. You're a family. Um, he's alluding back to Mark 4 when Jesus talks about those, my brothers and sisters and family are those people who do the will of God. This is his kind of allusion to that. He says, to offer your bodies. Uh, basically, he's saying all that you are, your whole self, to embody this kind of feel, this, this kind of uh, intentionality together as a living sacrifice. He's using temple language, okay, as our whole selves. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. He's like, don't live like the culture around you. That's very hierarchical. It's Roman. Uh, A lot of people are in different categories of economic enslavement. Okay? He's like, don't live like, don't see people in hierarchy. Don't see people... Uh, Don't use the lenses of our culture that categorize and separate people out. Oh, they voted this way. Oh, they they drive this car. Oh, don't, don't see people in the lens that people around you see people, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's saying, have a whole new neurovision of how you see. Retrain your brain 
to see people different. Okay? Then, then, he says, this is the point. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's like, once you do this, you'll be able to see people differently. You'll be able to understand God's heart for the world. For by the grace, which is all a gift, given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He's like, it starts with humility. Humility is the prerequisite. Humility is the starting point for all of us when it comes to this. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. This is his second metaphor. The first one was family. The second one is the body. And it's just that basically he's saying we all are different. Elbows and eyebrows and, you know, whatever. We're all different. We bring, bet, we bring different things to the table, and we are all part of something bigger. We are a body. Each of us has a part to play. We don't belong to ourselves. None of us are on our own, and we all have a part to play, which is very contrary to our culture. Very contrary. This is why we're trying to reimagine what our gathering on Sunday looks like. We don't want to be a service that's performed for you and then you just leave. We want to be interacting and participating together. And we're, we're trying things and we're trying to be that and it's, it's just going to take time. We have to retrain ourselves. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of the ways people can be a part of the body of Christ, but the point is, is like, if you got it, use it. And we all got it. Okay, so the next is 25 short commands on how we do that together. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. I sat with a friend this week who asked for my forgiveness. And I had the opportunity to say to this person out loud, I'm devoted to you, I am for you, and this was like a really meaningful conversation. It was really beautiful. It was really powerful. Honor one another above yourselves. Could you imagine if we honored each other way better than this than we do? I mean, it's great to tell somebody, and a lot of times we don't do this very well. Um, I've been to, like I shared with you before, I've been to four funerals now in not that long a time. And it's incredible to walk away from one of those experiences going, can you imagine if we honored that person before they were gone? Like how beautiful and meaningful a community would be if we actually were intentionally honoring each other. 
and telling each other what they mean to us. Um, one of the most favorite things of all my years of being a youth pastor was at the end of some, some key missions trips or whatever, we would gather together and we would honor each other. The, the students, would just you could just see someone's life just, just f- them just fill up with joy and personality when people were telling them things they saw in them. We don't do that. We don't do that enough. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This idea of encouraging each other forward, sharing stories, helping each other to keep tasting the kingdom. Such a, I mean, I want that. Be joyful in hope, verse 12, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're going to talk about hospitality next week. Wink, wink. Okay? So I'm not going to talk about a lot of that here because next week's all hospitality. So come next week. But verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Um, Even when you're facing kind of growing hostility around you for the things you believe, bless people. Don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This seems like so simple. We don't celebrate enough. And we're all afraid to mourn with people. And that takes courage to sit with people in their pain, in their hopelessness, in their, um, in their sadness, in their loss. We've got to be able to have the courage to just be with people, be with each other. Live in harmony with one another. Don't, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I love this. This is Count Zinzendorf. He didn't have to go door to door and pray with people like these peasants, you know, but he did. Notice this command is, is, is repeated. This is the second time he said it. It's all about humility. It's all about your um, position and how you see yourself. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. This is idea, I think, is really powerful. It's, I think it's more community discernment. Like, how does this affect my people? How does this affect my family? Um, processing life out loud together, I think, is really healthy. And I don't think we do this enough. Uh, Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is about patching stuff up. This is about cleaning up our messes. And I just want to say, just, um, I'm actually in the process of cleaning up a mess that I made. And it's in process with a friend of mine, and I'm working on it. And it's taking time. And this is, I'm trying to do this right now. It's hard. It's complicated. Um, It doesn't feel great, but it's important. Um, Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I need to tell you a little bit about that burning coal thing. (laughs) Seems like a little like, 
I'm being nice to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not the point. All throughout scripture is this beautiful metaphor of coals, of burning coals, think Isaiah chapter 6, of refinement, like it burning away iniquity, burning away sin. This idea iniquity is something that somebody does to you. You, you feel iniquity. And so being nice back is like, I am removing that. Okay? I'm removing that. I'm not going, hey, I'm nice to you. See, you're a jerk. No, it's like I'm removing what you did to me because I'm choosing to return something different. Okay? So that's just a little, the more you know. Boom, 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 boom. All right? So this is biblically symbolic stuff. So as we finish, because there's kids in the room and they're antsy and all that kind of stuff, I believe this is a beautiful, compelling vision of what a community could be. Can you imagine if we just began to like, see a few of these things pop up amongst us? How beautiful those stories would be. How beautiful that would look like to the people in our world. You know? When John says, they will know that you follow Jesus because of your love, he wasn't joking. It wasn't just like coffee cup verse. He's actually saying, like, if you actually practice this really hard stuff with each other, beauty's going to explode around you. So these are just what Henry Nouwen calls community, uh, like uh, uh, commands for the long haul. I'm just going to synthesize these 25, 30 things down into four little things, okay? The first one is forgive each other for not being God. <laughs> it's kind of like Henry Nouwen's kind of, uh, he calls this like, this is community 101 right here. Forgiving each other for not being God. Here's the thing. No one can live up to all of our expectations. And even yourself. <laughs> like if you look in the mirror like, I'm not living up to my own expectations for me. <laughs> um, Acts 2 is a beautiful thing, right? You, see, you read a little bit in Acts 2 and you're like, wow, that sounds amazing. They were meeting together. They were sharing with each other. They were doing all this stuff. And it sounds like this beautiful picture of what things were supposed to be. But here's the thing. If you read an overview of Acts you'll see that this wasn't utopia, okay? Like, there was some messy, complex, rough things they had to work out. They had to work out racism, the whole Jew-Gentile thing, which we think, That's, well, that really wasn't that big of a deal. Oh, it was bigger than anything that you and I are seeing. They had to deal with racism. They had to deal with economic inequality. They had to deal with power dynamics. They had to deal with all this stuff. It was anything but utopian. And here's the thing. You and I, we bring high expectations into community. We have like real expectations. We want our wounds to be healed. We want to feel pursued. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be loved unconditionally. We just, we have these high expectations. And those aren't bad things to have, but we're all human. Okay? And sometimes when that happens, um, when, when, when things don't happen how we think they should happen, we have to make the hard choice to love each other anyway. 
And that's hard. And so community is messy and hard and all those things. Second thing I would like to say is we need to learn how to listen really well and speak softly. One of the things I'm working on in my life is being fully present with people when I talk to them because sometimes I'm thinking about other things. I'll just be honest. And we have to give relational space for each other to share their stories, their joys, their hurts, to share deep stuff with us in person, um, and to rejoice with them and to grieve with them and all those things. And I just, we have to make intentional space to do this. Third one is this, share openly and risk vulnerability. I think that as a community, it's really hard to be vulnerable, and I would encourage you that you will find the, the path towards changing in your life is actually opening up and being honest. And if we can create a culture that does this, um, it signals, here's what this signals. When you're vulnerable with somebody, it signals this. It says, I cannot do this without you. I can't do this without you. And we don't think that's very strong and we don't think that's very tough especially guys in the room. Not just guys, though, but from experience, it's tough to be vulnerable and say, I can't do this without you. And the, the fourth one is this. It's this idea of rooting ourselves in a community, in a family, and sticking it out, staying. Okay? And it's hard to commit to this. So as we wrap this up, I just want to have a couple, a really kind of quick conversation. Um, maybe for you in the room, maybe you got to do like I'm doing and clean up a mess you made with somebody else. Maybe you need to push into somebody's life who's mourning and grieving and it's awkward and you don't know what to say and that's okay. Maybe for some of you, you need to set up a standing call or a meetup with a close friend and be intentional and focus on sharing. Some, sometimes some of you need to start by being vulnerable first. It all takes intentionality. Maybe for some of you, you need to go up to someone and tell them what they mean to you. Okay? It all takes hard work and intentionality. Listen, loose networks are easy to manage. Kind of a LinkedIn kind of <laughs> loose network of people. You can stay on the surface. It's easy to manage that. We've been playing with a definition the last four or five years about what it looks like to be a creative minority. And a creative minority is a minority of people that choose to live the way, the Jesus, uh, way of Jesus in a way, and it was based on a book by a guy named John Tyson, to choose to live in the way of Jesus in a very, very intentional way. And he writes this as a definition. A Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together in a living network of persons who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. It's intentionality. 
It's loyalty. You hear things like nodded together. Uh, You hear stubborn in there. I guess, here's the thing that's, I think the biggest thing that keeps me up at night, the biggest thing that keeps me up at night is thinking about many of you who don't feel connected to this community. To be honest with you, that's the biggest thing that was hardest for me during sabbatical. I'm like thinking about people, I'm like, wonder how they're doing, I wonder if anybody's reached out to them. <laughs> Just being honest. That was the hardest thing for me to let go. I feel a little bit like Count Zinzendorf where I want to go to each of your homes and go, like, let's pray together. This is important. Do you know so-and-so? Because you should know so-and-so. Because they're very, I mean, you guys got stories that are the same. I wish I could be like a puzzle. Angela and I were joking around this yesterday or the day before. I wish it would be like, like helping people like put together a puzzle, a community puzzle, where it's like, man, you guys would really connect. You just, you come different Sundays. Like, <laughs> it would be really cool. It would be really encouraging if you knew each other, right? It takes intentionality. And so tonight, here's the thing. We, we're not doing just a chili cook-off for kicks and giggles. <laughs> Although I'm going to win that. Um, the point is, right, Katie? Look me in the eyes, Katie Nyman. Katie talks some serious trash, and I love it. One of our values as a church is to be a place where a whole family can belong. And one of the heartbeats for Katie, Mandy, we were sitting at a staff meeting a number of weeks ago, and they're like, we don't do anything fun. And there's something like really to that. It's like, what if we got together and we just had fun and ate together and joked with each other and talked trash about chili? And that was the beginning of deeper conversations and intentionality, Right? It's part of, our, part of our value here at Restoration. So what I want to do as we close is we're going to do something that might feel uncomfortable. It's what we do. <laughs> Trying to be a little bit more to embody some things. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Not yet. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, but I'm actually going to ask you to like maybe huddle up huddle up and here's the thing like I'm not going to make you hold hands but I'm going to maybe like put your arms on each other's shoulders like let's let's do something with our bodies that says you know what we're not individuals okay and I'm going to pray for us pray for us and then I'm going to send us okay so would you stand up and cluster up maybe the gaggle of kids and uh, just cluster up wherever you are, maybe in sections. And I'm going to call you out if you're not clustering up enough. I'm watching you. Cluster up. (laughs) Can you guys make one big giant cluster? There. Woo! All right. (laughs) Jump in a cluster, Mandy. 
Are we clustered? All right. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us. <laughs> Heavenly Father, you did not intend nor create us to be rugged individualists. You created us to be in relationship. God, I believe your spirit, spirit, I know you work, and I know you work because I've seen you work through people in their lives. I've seen you bring encouragement and peace and conviction and challenge through relationship. Jesus, you didn't die for us as individuals, for us to have a personal relationship with you. You died for us to be a part of the kingdom of God. You saved us from our individual prisons to be a part of the movement of the creator in this world. You saved us from and for something and part of what you redeemed us for is for relationship. To put us back into right relationship with you and each other. And it starts with us to model it. God, will you commit, help us to commit to being intentional, to pursue each other, to bear with each other, all the one another's in the New Testament. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, church. I'm going to send you. <laughs> you can keep hugging. That's fine. <laughs> Restoration, go. <laughs> As the people of God in community. Amen. Good night. See you tonight.